Welcome to our Path to Pro series with Legend Soccer Company. My name's Thomas Clark and I'm here with Roland Benedict, the co-founder of Legend. Roland also was a former professional player at Racing Ghent out of Belgium. And through this Path to Pro series, we're aiming to highlight the career paths of a number of different professional soccer players. From pros at the top of their game, making millions of dollars, to players working other jobs just to fulfill their dreams of being a professional athlete and continuing to enjoy the beautiful game. This series is dedicated to telling the story of what it truly means to be a professional soccer player at every level. Well, thanks, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. It's, it's so great to have you. Um, I know you, you grew up playing soccer in Oregon. Tell us a little bit about your youth career leading up into high school. Um, actually, uh, my Oregon career was kind of short-lived, um, but I, I mainly grew up playing in St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a really good soccer scene and community was there. You know, the soccer scene there is amazing. Um, I had a really good youth career playing with uh, Anheuser-Busch team. Um, that's awesome yeah yeah it was really cool um but they were a good team a lot of quality players that i know that moved on to play professionally overseas and and domestically but it it kind of set me up for you know what i was to deal with but i moved to connecticut um i believe i was in seventh grade and actually my first team here was uh team and i was one of two boys on the on the team so it was a it was a pretty crazy start going from uh, a very very competitive level of soccer at a young age and then going to it was still competitive but i had never played with a girl on my team and not to say that that's there's anything wrong with that but it was just something i wasn't used to and you know, uh, we just made the best of it, and we ended up making it to the state finals. Um, and it was it was really cool experience for me. But um, also that year, I was playing on a, a recreational team with some players who were just learning that year, or some players who were just mainly interested in the sport. So that year was a a really big learning experience for me, going from a competitive level of soccer uh, to some a, a scene that I didn't really know much about and that I had to find my way to, uh, you know, the level of play that I wanted to get to. And uh, within that year, I found uh, some teams and was able to play at a competitive level and travel around the States. And actually, um, a few tournaments took us to Italy and France and Switzerland. Um, and I played really well over there. And, you know, it was just something that I wanted to run with. But uh, once I got to high school, then I realized uh, I wanted to make it, you know, get more serious with it and uh, started varsity all four years, um, was all state my junior and senior year. I was all New England. Um, I, I believe I set the record in Connecticut for the fastest hat trick. And uh, it was I scored a goal in the fourth minute, the fifth minute and the sixth minute. Wow. on my senior night in high school. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Can you, it was a good, ex can you, well, just not, not to interrupt, but I, I mean, that's a pretty impressive feat. Will you take us through the, that process kickoff? You score the first, you score the second. What are the goals like? 
because uh, that's pretty special. Um, I mean, that nobody scores, not many people score a hat trick in from the fourth to the sixth or seventh minute. Yeah, it, it was a really amazing experience for me, especially being senior night, my, my last home game in high school ever. I really wanted to go out with a bang and, you know. Well, you did. Prove. Yeah. So uh, basically from the kickoff, the game was pretty evenly matched. And I had played these guys before. They were like our biggest rivals. And I knew some of the guys in the other team. And I just kind of used it towards my advantage. And um, I just took over the game in like the fourth minute. And I got the ball and over. it was a ball played over the top behind the defense. And I was about 20 five yards out and I just hit a laser into the top corner <laughs> and r- r- right when I did that I was just buzzing with confidence and right off the kickoff for them I, I was just so hungry for the ball I just got the ball right back and dribbled through you know almost the whole team and then put another one in and then I was like well you know if I did that right after the the first goal which was pretty nice goal I was like I might as well finish it off with a hat trick and uh, ended up get you know making it happen again, and just right after that, I got subbed out on my senior night and never played another minute for the school. Really? <laughs> well, actually, besides playoffs, you know, but gotcha, that sure. that was it. Yeah, I played I played seven minutes of the game, and then I was subbed out, and that was it. Why didn't you get put back in? Yeah, it's something I still wonder about today. Uh, my mom, mom always thinks it's so funny. And she asks me all the time. She's like, I wonder if you would have scored like six or seven goals if you played the whole game. Yeah. And I I always wonder what, what would have happened, but I was kind of frustrated with my coach to, you know, not let me finish out the game or even the half, but you know, I guess you'll never know. Yeah. That's odd. That's very odd. So, so anyway, so you got your senior night hat trick, you get subbed out. Uh, and you know, now we're progressing, progressing, getting ready to go into college. Yeah. And, uh, a big, big, uh, learning experience and stepping stool for me there was I was invited to an all new England, um, uh, game pretty much in New York giant stadium back when, or the New York Red Bull stadium when they played for the, in the giant stadium. Wow. And, and it was New York and Connecticut versus, uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and I was only one of three players from Connecticut chosen. So it was, it was a pretty cool experience, but also a big learning curve for me to know the, the other talent and other potential that, that was, uh, you know, just in, in the New England area. Um, and luck, not luckily, but uh, fortunately, I scored the only goal for my team. And it was, it was amazing. You know, I scored a, a goal from like 30, 30 yards out, you know, playing right mid and I was coming across the the pitch to the center of the field and just hit a strike with my left foot and it went off the the post in in the upper left corner and went in the side net on the other side and then I turned around and saw it on the jumbo screen and wow you know instant goosebumps and I sprinted over to my family you know like when they scored a touchdown I jumped up on the on the uh like the railing and was just it was just a, a magical moment for me and then that was one of the points in my life where I realized I needed to make this, uh, you know, a lifelong career. That's so cool. So, so you literally get to do a little Meadowlands leap. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. You, you dream about yeah. that. That's sweet. And uh, so did your kind of the recruiting process 
for for collegiate athletics, did that start after that game? Did you start getting more attention or were you already committed to going to a certain school at that point? I had actually committed before that. Um, I believe it was the end of my junior year in high school. Um, I committed to or verbally committed to Monmouth University, uh, which at the time was, you know, number four in the nation for D1. Um, But unfortunately, you know, being a little immature and maybe being a little bit in, into my, my own ego that uh, I let my, my grades slip a bit and I ended up losing that scholarship. So that game helped me with exposure, but unfortunately because of my grades, it kind of just teased me a little bit with, with all the coaches that were interested, but not being able to, to make the jump to D one straight from high school. So uh, I was forced to take a different route, and I, I had to choose between prep school for a year or D3 for a year or junior college. And uh, I, maybe was not the best decision, but I chose D, D3. Uh, so I lost a year of eligibility, but it was also another good learning experience for me. And, you know, I wouldn't be the player I am today if I didn't make that decision. So... I can't regret it, but I definitely could have done things a little bit better. Um, I had a very successful year that year, though. Um, I was rookie of the year, uh, GNAC, uh, all first team conference. Uh, I was leading goal scorer on my team, probably one of the top scorers in the in the the, the league as well. Um, you know, but well, yeah, so- that. The I just wanted to touch on this because we, you know, we spoke, we spoke yesterday to, you know, get you used to the podcast and, and things. And so we got to chat and there's a, you know, there's kind of a common theme. I'm not, I mean, amongst pretty much all athletes, unless you're a LeBron James or you're a, you know, these one once in a lifetime type of players where you're going to Monmouth, you're going D1, top five school in the nation. And then something happens, right? It's never going to be that perfect route. And something happens and you end up not getting, you know, getting that perfect, that perfect, well, quote unquote, I guess, perfect scholarship and route to, you know, a major league soccer or professional contract. Because with your ability, and I've seen highlights and I, and I know your story now, like your ability, you know, there's no doubt you can play at a very high level. And so imagine you as a player going to Monmouth, what, what could happen, but I think you as a player, then you as a person going through what you did um, kind of changed you. And, and, and I think, I think that that's important for people that are listening to understand is that, you know, you kind of had the perfect situation, Monmouth D1, big school, and then something happened, which at the moment or now you're probably thinking, gosh, shot, shot myself in the foot. But, but you have to agree that it's probably beneficial in the long run for who you are as a player and a, and a human being. Absolutely. Um, it made me respect uh, myself and the game and others a lot more to know that, you know, there's somebody always there that's able to take your spot. So it, it made it really humbled me really quickly to know that I need to put my head down and put in the work and and let my game speak for itself rather than, you know, my ego or something like that. Absolutely. Sure. Well, so you have you have this awesome one year playing division three and then 
tell us about where you went to next. Did you immediately start exploring transfer options? Did you ever think about maybe not continuing down the college route and going straight into playing professionally? Tell us a little bit about what your mindset was at that point after a really successful uh, first year in college. I At that point, I probably would have wanted to go the professional route, but um, I guess I just struggled knowing of how to take that route, where to, where to begin, who to talk to, you know, who to get advice from. Cause at that point I didn't really have many connections as besides, you know, previous youth coaches, but I think they would have helped me out during that time if they knew it, you know, where to go. So for me, I just started reaching out to my other buddies that were playing at the division one level. And I can't, I, you know, it came across my mind about a few friends that played at Quinnipiac university and I reached out to him and he, he thought I had attended Monmouth and just took a red shirt year. And when he found out I was at a D three school, he talked to the coach and told him, and the coach thought the same thing. He thought I was just red shirt at the, at Monmouth. And he had tried to recruit me in high school, but he uh, he decided not to even try because Monmouth was in the same conference as them. And obviously being a much better school school at the time, uh, he wasn't even going to try. So when he found out that I was able and willing to, to go to the school, he did everything in his power to help me get into the school. And, you know, I'll forever be grateful for him because he was a great coach for me and, uh, he definitely helped me become groom me into the man that I am today on and off the pitch. And, you know, it was, it was a great decision for me. Finally made a good one. <laughs> what, what, uh, what about the, about this coach? You know, I'm sure he, if he ever hears this, he would love to know, but what did he do to really, you know, kind of bring you in and, and groom you into that, the man you are today? Well, what actually my very first practice there, you know, I was a little nervous because I went from a D3 to a D1 jump. So it had been a while since I had truly been like challenged in training and games. And so I was a little, you know, nervous just at the beginning. And we were doing a possession type, uh, two, like a two rondo possession drive drill. And uh, I think it was my first pass it was a little choppy. And then my second pass or my second touch uh, was it was a tiny bit choppy. And instantly he said, Will, step out. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like I'm having a nightmare right now. You know, two passes into the first training at this Division One school and the coach is asking me to step out because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm low, like as if I was lowering the quality of the game. Yep. And then he, he pulled me aside and he goes, take a deep breath. You're fine. You know, you can play at this level you know, pick your head up and, and believe in yourself. And then instantly I just like went into third gear and started performing at the level I should. And just the, the trust he had in me and the belief he had in me, uh, you know, really went a long way for me. And even when I was making mistakes as far as school or, you know, if I was a minute or two late to, to training, he, he helped me, um, become a better person as far as, you know, um, not, not, uh, not, um, not punishing me, but, you know, putting me through fitness things that would help me 
build character, I guess you could say. And it just really helped me along, along the way. And it actually helped my work rate on the pitch. And it just had, had made me a better player over time. That's awesome. I think I know Roland and I have both experienced really amazing coaches myself at the high school and collegiate level and Roland both in high school and, and professionally speaking. And I think it's huge when you have a role model that can just step in and kind of show you the ropes a little bit, maybe teach you a couple lessons. So tell us a little bit about, about those, those three years that you did you spend all three of the next years playing there and, and tell us about that jump. You know, once you get into games, I'm sure you were obviously rookie of the year playing division three. Was it a little bit more of a challenge at, at a high level division one school? Definitely. It definitely was. Um, and, and it took me, I think, the first two years to fully gain my, you know, 100% confidence. And I had some great goals in the first two years, but I wasn't consistently, you know, performing at my best. And um, my senior year, I really came around and was was a, a lot of, uh, dan- you know, I was a lot of danger for the other team. But uh, I remember the first year, I think it was like my third game or something. We were playing against Loyola, who at the time was probably, I think they were top 10 ranked. And I scored like a left-footed volley screamer from like 40 yards out. And yeah, and I I don't even, I just remember seeing it slow motion, you know, creep into the top corner. And the coach of the other team like looking at me like, what just happened? (laughs) And yeah, not much you can do about that. Yeah, and uh, it it was pretty awesome. But then I, you know, started gaining more confidence and and was a more of a threat. But in those first two years, I was playing more of an outside mid, so it it was it was good for me because I was learning how to play another position and and how to be a threat in that position. Mm-hmm. But I was also, you know, competing with a lot of quality players on the team, so I was okay with moving around to different positions. And, you know, it, it, you got to do what's best for the team. And my, my coach know, knew I was a striker, but m- maybe I wasn't ready for it at that level. So he definitely helped me over the next two years get ready for that. And senior year is when I, I really took off with it. And I, I didn't have a breakout season, but it was, you know, an, enough for the team to do really well and, and, you know, do my job, do my part. Yeah, it's, you know I- – from my experience too, Will, and, and you know, we're going to hear a lot from you about how you're put into a, a different role or a different position or something outside of what you truly believe is your strongest position, your strongest role on a team. But I, I think it's important that there's a lot of Division three players, players that are playing at the Division three level that have the ability to play Division one at Monmouth like yourself or, you know, committing to Monmouth or, you know, Quinnipiac. But I think the important thing that you kind of mentioned briefly, and it's something you're just used to now, is that in that first activity, that first uh, dual rondo session, it's about the the level of consistency. You know, I, I, your, your first touch was probably decent. The pass you hit was probably okay. But if it's not true on the floor and if your first touch isn't of the proper quality – and you're not playing consistently enough and performing consistent, you won't get the field. Coach won't trust you. 
because he needs to know that when he puts Will on the field, he's going to get exactly what he needs and exactly what he needs every single time. Consistency is huge to play at the top level. Yeah, it's, you know, consistency is huge. And it, even, you know, when you're going higher up the totem pole, the, the levels of play, it, it becomes more prominent. And, and the little things that, you know, the little fundamentals is you just have to ha- have perfected or else you just, you just can't, you can't compete at that level. And um, that's, you know, that play right there, that Rondo session is right when I realized, you know, all right, I need to be a little bit more consistent and focus more on the little things rather than trying to do something extravagant every mm-hmm. single time I touch the ball. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. What, uh, when I was at South End United um, playing with the under-18s, Uh, after I graduated from high school and the coach, Ricky Duncan, we're doing a a finishing drill. I'm, I'm whipping in crosses. My strength was that I'm, I was two footed. I'm born right footed, but my left foot's really great. So I'm, I'm whipping crosses in on the run, one touch, you know, putting these balls in the box. And I'm about, I'd say three out of seven are hitting the near post defender right on the head. I mean, I'm hitting, if it's on goal, if it's a free kick, like it's going to challenge the keeper. I'm absolutely whipping this ball in and he just keeps laying into me. Every F-bomb, every word you can think of. And eventually I did like six of them. And eventually he just, he sent me home. I was 15 minutes into the training session and he just told me to get off the field and go take a shower. And it was just, <laughs> it was just eye-opening going, oh my goodness. I was hitting decent balls. Like somebody run near post. Nope. Get off my field. Go take a shower. Yep, you know that it's crazy how that 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 seems, but you know that's just how it is at that level, you know, and it makes you uh, kick yourself into the next gear, saying, you know, I don't want to be looked at like that. I want to perform at my best, so it pushes you to that next level. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny, Will. So after you you finished up your collegiate career, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but you moved back west, and you ended up having a stint with the Kitsap Pumas. I, I played in the Pacific Northwest collegiately and had a bunch of my buddies move on and play for Kitsap, and some of them played for the Portland Timbers U23s and other comparable teams of that nature. And for every one of my buddies, I mean, we were a pretty small NAIA school, so it was, it was a, a big jump for them to the next level. Was it a jump for you? Was it kind of – I know you were making the jump to – the professional level or the semi-professional level, or was it, was it kind of a step back from that top 10 kind of division one caliber competition? Um, it had its days for both. You know, there was, there was some times when we play the Seattle U23 or the Portland Timbers U23. And, and, and even in, in preseason, we were playing against university of Washington mm-hmm. uh, and friendlies. And they were at the time ranked number one in the nation. So we definitely had our, our competition, um, but there was also, you know, there's the, the teams that were on the fence and, you know, we would completely uh, control those games. But there were definitely a, a lot of games where we struggled with competition. And there was a lot of guys on my team who had played overseas professionally, who had played uh, in, the, in USL that were actually taking a step down going to there so I mean there was levels of competition through in the league and and on my team as well so it it helped me push me to the next level as well and 
And in preseason, I did extremely well. Um, I actually scored the only goal against University of Washington in which we won 1-0. Nice. And, uh, yeah, and it was it was pretty cool for me because growing up, I, I always watched MLS on TV, so I knew who Craig Weibel was and he, that he was, you know, at the time the most winningest MLS player, uh, of course, before Landon Donovan. And he came straight up to me after the game, and he goes, I don't know who the hell you are, but – why are you here? And he was like, why aren't you playing at a higher professional level? And you just made the number one defense in the country look terrible. And then, you know, three out of the four defenders, starting defenders for them, all were drafted in the first round that year. And I'm just, yeah, I I was shocked that, you know, I, I wasn't getting my opportunity. So I just, you know, put my head down and just kept working. What and position? Just tried – Will, what position were you playing? Um, I was playing a lot of outside mid and striker. So, okay. yeah, uh, I was playing a little bit of both, depending on what other striker he had in at the time, because we were playing a four four two. 2 But, yeah, the coach and I, um, we got along really well in preseason, but he he kind of played favorites a little bit, and – you know, if if you weren't on his good side, then he just wouldn't want to play you. And uh, unfortunately, my grandfather had passed away, like right at the beginning of the season. So I left to go to his funeral, of course. And then I came back like two days later and he benched me for the next like two two games and with no reason. And, and the whole team was so confused because I was the starter every other game before that. And then he just – he never liked me after that because I left just to go to my grandpa's funeral. And at that point, I, you know, sat down with him and I decided, you know, I was like, if if we're not going to move forward professionally and, and if I'm going to be treated this way just because I left for a funeral, then I'd like to be released. And that's when I actually asked for a release to go to uh, – back to the East Coast and and test some of the teams out over here. That's awesome, Will, that you were able to kind of get out of a, a bad situation. I think we all hear the horror stories of, of coaches just, you know, playing favorites or, in this case, choosing to kind of punish a player for a tragedy that w- that's out of their control. And it's always interesting when it doesn't make sense to the other personnel on the team while you're not playing because they know you can benefit the squad. So that that stuff is always an unfortunate situation. But I think it worked out for your career long-term because you end up moving into a USL squad, right, with, with West Mass Pioneers. Uh, well, they were actually ASL at okay, the time. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, it was like the semi-professional American Soccer League. Um, I was actually playing on their – when I came back from Kitsap, I was playing on their PDL team. And then right when the PDL season ended, they, their ASL season started. So I got a little bit of both. So it was cool. I, I played in uh, the U.S. Open Cup for them on their PDL team. And we ended up taking uh, the Rochester Rhinos of the USL into uh, overtime. And they ended up scoring a, a game winner in like the 120th minute. But um, we lost two to one. I scored the only goal. The coach wanted to sign me right after the game, but didn't have any uh, more roster space. So he told me, you know, just to stay in touch. 
but then I went on to the, the ASL season and it was funny how it worked. It was 10 games in the fall or maybe summer and then a break and then 10 more games after the break. And the break was like two months long. Wow. So, yeah. So the first 10 games in the, in the first break or before the, the break, uh, I was the leading goal scorer. I had nine goals in 10 games, like five assists. I was leading and I believe in both categories throughout the whole league. Our team was undefeated. Um, we were in first place. And then it was at that point when I realized I'm, I'm going to need to try to do something else or I might not get another opportunity to play at a higher level since there's no relegation or promotion in, in the United States. I hadn't been contacted by an, a USL team or, or an MLS team. So I figured I didn't have to put matters into my own hands. And I actually paid the Western Mass, uh, the board, I paid them a out clause fee. So I had to pay them $1,000 to be released from my contract. Wow. Yeah. And then I pursued uh, a combine called Soccer Visa. And I was, I went to, I believe it was three combines. One was like a month after my ankle surgery. So I wasn't really ready. I just wanted to see what the other players and potential would be like. And the second one I did really well and uh, had some really close opportunities for trials or contracts, but it just never worked out. And then the third combine, uh, I, w I actually got an offer for, a trial. And then that's how I ended up going over to Iceland. And, uh, I had a two week trial with the team in Iceland. And after the first day, they ended up offering me a contract and said they didn't really need to see anything else. That's awesome, man. I know, uh, spending, spending some time in Iceland, living over there for almost a year. It's, it's such an amazing country, but you were in a really small town, right? At first, when you moved there, just about 1600 people right so tell us a little bit yep. about the culture shock about the level of play and just what it was like i know basically most icelanders especially our age speak really really good english but tell us a little bit about that transition um it was definitely a a, a wild experience for me at first because they they definitely do all speak english but you know when it comes to training and playing and everything um, they mainly speak Icelandic. So that first season for me was very difficult in that sense. Um, culture shock was definitely different as far as, you know, 1600 people in the town and the, the closest town from there was like 30 minutes. And, you know, we had one grocery store, one gas station, uh, one restaurant, um, you know, my my high school was probably 1600 people so and i knew every single person so it was it was it was really crazy but um i ended up having a lot of looks from higher divisions within that preseason of uh that first season but my coach or the board actually refused all offers and uh they said after my contract is up they could offer more so i ended up having to play out that first season um, and I came to find out after the season that I played the whole season with a torn meniscus. 
Um, and I still finished third in the league with goals. I had 12 goals in 17 games. Um, and I played mostly, mostly striker, but also sometimes center attacking mid or an outside mid position. Yeah, that's pretty, you know, it's something that through this whole conversation so far, it's been a recurring theme everywhere you've gone. It's been, uh, you're telling us a story about a game. It's like, yeah, well, we lost two, one. I scored the only game, only goal of the game. And then I had to leave because the coach didn't believe in me or they didn't give me the right opportunity. Or I show up, I plan a great season, want to move on. They won't let um, You know, all, all those things, it's been recurring. You know, you go to Iceland, all goals in 17 games, getting looks from bigger clubs, but they won't let you leave. How, how does that wear on you as a player where you're continually – you know, when you played UW, the, 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 the opposing coach believed in you, said, why aren't you playing at a higher level? Yet you always seem to be in an area where the coach does like you, does like you as a player, but not quite enough to really, really get you to move to the next level or, or support you in that. And so how does that wear on you? Now you're in Iceland and kind of you're feeling the same thing. You're not playing your preferred role, 12 goals in 17 games. You want to leave or not, and it's not necessarily want to leave, but want to have a fair chance to, play at a higher level how does that how does that wear on you after a while exactly it's it's really frustrating but um I've, I've always you know thought that one of the coaches would or boards would agree to it and say you know like hey we helped we helped this player or groom this player into the guy he is today instead they kind of were holding on to me or playing me in different positions, hoping that I wouldn't leave and that they'd get to have me longer. But it, it definitely does um, dwell and linger in your mind. And it's very frustrating because I want to reach my full potential and reach the top level that I possibly can and, and prove my worth and prove myself to, you know, not, not just to the, the, the current league or whatever it is, but, but also to myself that that I'm worthy of playing in this league or that league. And I just want to, you know, push myself to the, the best level that I possibly can. And and finally, you, you got your chance, Will, right? So you must have healed up from your meniscus injury, which, by the way, is incredible that, that you were able to play on that. I mean, I know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a goalkeeper and just so much of the – blocking and defending good offensive players is their ability to move laterally and I'm sure that was difficult with an injury like that but you finally get to move to the Icelandic first division was it a huge jump for you or did you kind of just right away gel with the teammates and and have a lot of success uh it was it was I think the first two practices were kind of a jump just because of the speed of play and and the quality players that we had but um, I think after that first few practices, I really uh, came into myself and, 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 and really just started thriving and, and doing well and becoming more of a leader on the team. Sure. Tell, us, uh, tell the audience, um, obviously Roland and I know your playing background, but tell, tell our audience a little bit about the club you ended up signing with that you've been with for the past couple of years and uh, where you were living and 
and, and everything about that. Cool. Yeah. Um, I believe they were founded in 1935. So they've been around for quite a long time. And I'm, it's amazing to me that they've had a, a league in Iceland for that long. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, they have a, a great history. They've, um, they've been to the Europa League. I believe the last time was 2005. I'm not, I, I believe that's right. But they were playing against FC Basel. Um, which is obviously a, a a major team in in Switzerland, I think. But um, you know they they have they've done extremely well in the Icelandic Premier League. Um, they've had some co- extremely quality players come through there. A lot of national players, uh, some current. Um, you know they're they're, they're just a, a well respected team in Iceland, and it's they're popularity is growing a lot over there that's you know making that making the jump will from from going over there get a contract settle in have a great season and then going to the to the top division uh you know the the competition as we move up and we talked about the you know the little rondo situation where you you know got pulled out and said hey you know get get your mind right it's okay you can play here um, obviously language barrier is tough going into the new team. Uh, what were some, some personal goals for you when you're going in you, you, with all this knowledge about how to train, uh, how to get yourself, you know, kind of build your confidence with a new squad and, and, and make friends and build chemistry, you know, specifically on the pitch. What, what were some of the things going through your head going into those first couple training sessions, you know, with goals and, and things to just say, Hey, you know what, let's build on some positives and, and show the coach what I have. Yeah, um, for sure. My first goal was to be the leading goal scorer on the team. So big goal, right um, away. I love it. Yeah, and I wanted to jump into that, you know, as soon as I got there. That's always my goal of every team. But I always let it take a back seat to the better good of the team. So when, you know, the first year, that was for sure my goal. And I played mostly right mid and Every once in a while, I played a little bit of striker. Uh, I ended up being second leading goal scorer on the team. And um, I believe I played 15 out of the 22 games. So I had missed quite a few because I had that knee surgery right before the season had started. But um, the second year, I really, really wanted to be the, the main main guy, the top goal scorer. I, I pushed myself a little bit more, and I said I wanted to be top 10 goal scorers in the league. And during that preseason, um, I had, I think it was 14 goals in nine or 10 games. And I was actually in the preseason tournaments, I was the number one goal scorer in, in all of Iceland. And so I had really, you know, pushed myself and was, was making things happen. And unfortunately, one of our wingbacks during that preseason had been injured and uh, I guess because of the athleticism and adjustability, the, the well-rounded skill set that I have as far as left foot, right foot being equal uh, speed and size. My coach thought that I might be a good fit, kind of like a Victor Moses in that, in that wing wing back position. And I took a back seat and, 
and ended up playing that after being the, the leading goal scorer in Iceland to only scoring one goal that season because I played defense all 22 games. Yeah, that's tough. That is, I mean, I don't, <laughs> Rowan's told me so much about how he's moved positions and I've never had to experience that because I'm a goalkeeper and I'm trash anywhere else. So that's been nice for me. I have zero position. <laughs> but I think the silver lining there, Will, is that you guys finished fifth in the league that season and had a, had a ton of success. Tell us a little bit about how much that meant to you because you, you did sacrifice a lot and you sacrificed some of your individual goals for collective success. Yeah, that year was was amazing and uh, also very disappointing at the same time because we had a, I think it was like a four-game losing streak and we hadn't lost a game like in the first like 10 games. So it was very frustrating at that point because by the end of the season we were about three four points shy of the Europa League and for the reason we were in first place the whole way and to have Champions League in your you know in your just a grasp away and then losing that and then saying all right well, well let's hang on to the Europa League let's make sure we clinch that at least and then losing that within the, the final two to three games was, you know, traumatizing. You know, that's probably the majority of kids' dreams these days is just to play a game in the Champions League or the Europa League against, a you know, a massive squad or your, your childhood favorite team. And, and to be able to, to go one-on-one -on -one against, you know, your favorite player or something. And to, to be so close but yet so far was was really tough yeah it's you know it's interesting will and, and you you know this and other players know this but i mean that's the difference from starting a game to not starting a game to having the coach trust you and not trust you to being in the europa league winning the league the uh you know and and not winning it is very small and minute and so you know you know myself coming back and, and talking to friends and they say you know, where'd you play and, and all these things. They don't realize the ability and level of, say, yourself or myself or even Thomas here, that you, just because you didn't play in the Champions League or the Europa League that season doesn't mean you couldn't have, doesn't mean you're not that level of player. And I know you believe in yourself as being, a, you know, a player that can play in the Europa League. And so I think that's such a big confidence boost and, and players need to understand that are listening to this that this whole path is, is that your skill level and ability is very, very, very high. And it's just about finding the right opportunity, putting your head down, going to work and doing everything you can to, you know, express yourself, your qualities uh, and, and your personality on the field. Cause it's a game and, and people come to watch. It's a performance. You have to perform uh, not only for the team, but, but for the fans. And so, that's such a special experience, you know, fighting to get into the Europa League. There's not many players that uh, get with your, with your journey get to say that. I don't have, I can't say that. It's just amazing. Yeah. And um, I think that was a really good learning experience for me. And, you know, you say the, the about performing and, and I think in those last few years is when I really, really realized uh, in that sense that, that I am on a stage performing and that I need to be consistently at the top level if I want 
an opportunity like the the Europa League and Champions League. Yeah, def- definitely. I mean, it's it, it's a confidence thing too. You you hear a lot with announcers, pundits, even coaches if they're interviewed. You know, they'll say Raheem Sterling, for example, went from Liverpool to Manchester City, and they'll use the phrases, "Oh, well, you know, Raheem, he's really really enjoying his football right now." And you go, well, what do you mean? He's playing a game. How is he not enjoying it? And it's just, he's in a different mindset. You know, you, you have that Europa League push and you go, yeah, I'm good enough. I am good enough to do this. And, and it gives you confidence where you stop, you know, thinking about pressure or the quality of your pass and you just perform and, and you let your, your ability come through. Yeah. And, and it's, it's when you can get in that mindset, when you really realize that it's not a sport, it's not a game, it's, it's more like art. And you're like, you're, it's about your creativity and your imagination and combining one move with the other, or even being simple and letting, you know, your work rate do the, do the job. And there's just so many different aspects of the game that, that can be, you know, just used in a different way that sometimes you you don't even know that's possible. Like when I, when I do a, a combination of, of certain moves that I haven't done before. And then I realized to myself, like, wow, like I didn't even know I could do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you start to think of the game in a, in a different sense. And it's, it, it seems more like art at times. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge thing. We've all had moments where we're lacking that confidence and it feels like everybody's watching you. And the last thing you're doing is, is focusing on that and, and, even if you're getting to a point where you can play simple again, you're definitely not challenging your own individual parameters and trying to be creative and getting artistic, like you mentioned. And so finally, this latest campaign, I'm sure you're at a point where you're just budding with confidence at this point. And you kind of, you got, you got more on the scoring sheet, I know. And you had a little bit more individual success as far as your offensive goals. Tell us a little bit about this latest campaign and also what your plans are moving forward. Um, I definitely came, uh, became more confident and, um, just, just more determined this year. And, um, I actually came into the season playing that wing back position again for the first, you know, 14 games. And I ended up scoring one goal in that position, but I was still, you know, bursting with confidence and ready to do whatever I could for the team. And, and, I, I really became a little bit more creative this year. And when I finally got my chance to play striker, uh, I came off the bench just because my coach said he wanted me to get more comfortable playing that position again. So I came in at, believe at the 75th minute, we were down one zero and I scored two seconds onto the field and I, with my first touch, you know, and the next game, the, my coach is like, you know what? I'm really happy you scored. You deserved it. I want you to come off the bench again and still get some more time before you get more comfortable. And I believe it was like three minutes onto the field. I score a, a game winner. Wow. And then, and then the next game, I, I come off the bench again and I scored three games in a row coming off the bench. And then he finally said to me, all right, you know what? You, you earned the position. You're comfortable. And, and then I ended up scoring, I believe it was five goals or six goals in the last, I think it was five, I think it was six or seven games. I scored five goals and was top 15 goal scorers in the league. 
um, and and just really was bursting with confidence and ready for that that role as a striker and uh, you know a leader as an attacker. Well, um, so but before you continue, I just want to say for any coach out there that's coaching at the professional level right now that ever gets the opportunity to watch you play pay attention to the podcast will daniels scores goals let him play up top in the clutch moments and he'll score trust in the process the evidence is in the podcast he scores (laughs) goals anyway it's it's really fun it's really funny because in the past like eight or 10 years of, of my life as in, in career as, as a soccer player, I I've always scored goals like that. And, and I just don't know what it, it is about those moments. Maybe it's the, the goosebumps after the goals that, that just makes me go into to, to blackout mode. I don't even know sometimes what I'm doing. And, and all of a sudden I just see the ball going into the back of the net. Yeah. That and, at, go ahead. Will. sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say it, those are the best moments for me as a striker is when I don't have to think about what I'm doing. My my body's already acting before my brain. Of course, I'm trying to think of all the opportunities that I can do, but it's when you go into that dis, like survival uh mode that, you know, when you when you train for 2 hours straight and your legs are so heavy and you can barely walk anymore and you're still being clinical putting the ball into the top corners or the side net and it's it's when your your body realizes that like I've done this a million times what's one more mean you know and you you just let your mind go free and you just make it look easy it's uh yeah well you know we we spoke uh, um, yesterday in our in our little pre-interview about you know we we mentioned Karim Benzema and there's players like Olivier Giroud in the World Cup for France and, and, and players like that, you know, you're talking about you somehow always end up scoring a game winner, a game tire, the solo goal in maybe a game that you guys don't have a lot of success or a lot of possession. And then there's players like Benzema and Giroud that get all these, you know, negative, negative pundits and, and people ragging on them for not scoring enough as a center forward. Like they got to put more goals in the back of the net. There's so much more to the game than just scoring goals. There might be a guy that scores 35, 40 goals a season, but doesn't score in important games at clutch moments like yourself. And there might be players that don't score 20, 30 goals in a game, but have great movement, win headers, hold the ball up for their team to let their creative players run on. And I think it's important for for people to understand that there's so much more to every single position. And some players are just born to do certain things. And I believe you just have a knack for scoring winners. So like I said, coaches, Will Daniel scores goals. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's awesome, man. And I think what's interesting about that three goal, three game stretch that you talked about, that's happening at the clutch time of your season, right? I think it was that, right in that September time of the year where you guys need to get some victories. So not only was it clutch moments in the game, it's clutch moments in the season where, where you need to get those goals. And um, what, what, what now will, what, what's your move going forward? Are you going to return to Iceland? Um, what are your professional plans uh, this coming season? Well, uh, well, currently it's a, it's a, exciting thing for me as well because my agent's working on a a few things at the moment and um 
I can't name any teams or anything right now, but uh, he's working on some teams in the Superettan, and which is the second division in Sweden, which is a very high level and uh, it's a really good opportunity, I believe. And wow. uh, he's also working on a team in Denmark, and then quite a few teams in Iceland have have put in some offers, including my previous team, Grindavik. That's so cool, man. And of course, we wish you nothing but the best. And we we so appreciate you spending some time, spending an hour with us to just talk ball. We we have such a, a blast with this, and I know it's fun for you guys to be able to talk a little. Now. I think it's interesting to note. So the West Mass Pioneers that you played with before, they're now a USL club with this new restructuring of the USL. So for young kids, it's easier now to be able to, if you go play for that club, you're already within the USL umbrella. You can find bigger clubs within that. What would be the advice that you would give a young player that's listening to this podcast, maybe trying to find a way, a path to the professional game? What's the biggest piece of advice you would give them as we wrap up here with you? Um, actually, what you had just said about the the Western Mass being a part of the USL squad uh, league, and now it gives kids an opportunity to play for their youth program. For me, I th- I wish that was something that was uh, was was available for me growing up, that I was able to would have been able to play for a professional youth team and, and be able to go up through the ranks and, and be that homegrown player. Because nowadays I think a lot of clubs around the country are all focusing on homegrown. So if you can get yourself into one of these youth systems, into one of these U23 programs, U18s, whatever level it may be, if it's U8, the sooner you can get into it, the better. And, and, you know, the more they'll groom you into the player that you're meant to be. And I think that's the key uh, to kids these days, getting in, getting themselves to the next level. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, you know, the, the more exposure, right. Just, just exposure. Um, Absolutely. More people seeing you see your qualities, even if it doesn't fit, which, you know, along your whole story that we just heard, so many times you play, you're playing right mid, left mid, striker, then you're left wing back, right wing back. I mean, you just just keep playing. People see the qualities and eventually, you know, the, the cream rises to the top. And, and, you know, you have, you know, seems like lots of really great, exciting options. And we're really excited here to, to hear what you end up pursuing. And uh, Legend Soccer is, you know, not only a company and, and you know, with our, with our products, but as an organization, we want to back all the players that, you know, you know, wear our, wear our product and believe in what we're doing. So anyway, we can help, man. We'd, uh, we're here for you. Awesome guys. I really appreciate you guys having me and, and, and for the talk, it was really good. Hey, thanks. Will. thanks. Will. we appreciate it, man. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Have a good one. All right. You too guys.